The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. I think we might be live, so welcome participants. I see a couple new names on there and a couple of repeat participants, so this is going to be exciting. Uh, I'm considering teaching three things today. Uh, one is to go over the, a song that uses basically five of the six patterns in music. So it's a great quintessential example of showing in one particular song all the five types of patterns. Uh, another uh, thing I would like to go over is what I call quasi-block and true-block. It's a style of playing that George Shearing, blind pianist, jazz pianist from uh, England, George Shearing, um, was noted for or known for. And then the third thing is I see some relatively new people, I think. So I think I'd like to go through the song Misty uh, to kind of talk about how I would teach someone from the get-go. So I'll go through Misty with triads, um, four-note chords, closed position. And then four note chords, well, seventh chords, I'll call it, in open position. And then nines, elevens, thirteens. What else? Uh, incorporate some block, um, some unders. We've talked about that maybe a little bit. Just, just about everything I can think of in terms of uh, souping up Misty. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the five or six. Well, there's basically six patterns in music that I've discovered over decades of teaching. One is what's called diatonic harmonic movement or diatonic chords, chord movement. Okay, so those of you who have been listening for a while, this may be a slight, um, slight repeat, but never hurts to emphasize. So the diatonic chords in any major scale are the one chord is major, two is minor, three is minor, four is major, five is major, six minor, and seven is diminished. Okay, so let's say I'm doing a tune called Matchmaker from the musical um, Fiddler on the Roof. So this song uses diatonic progression. I'm in the key of C for ease of picturing in your mind's eye. Okay, so this song goes right up the scale as if I just did the drill. So it's the one chord, two chord, three chord, four chord, and back to the one chord, two chord, three chord. Okay, so we have four measures plus four measures, eight measures of diatonic, and we're gonna do start to do it again. One, two, oops, one, two, three. Now, this time when you hit the three chord, it begins a circle of fifths movement. Okay, so diatonic progressions are one of the six patterns in music. Another pattern is a circle of fifths. So this, this next four measures is diatonic. When you hit the three chord, now we start a circle of fifths movement. So E would go to A, and then D to G, back home to C. All right, so, so far we've got eight, well, ten, about 10 measures of diatonic. And then once you hit that three chord, the third time, you 
begin to think circle. So it's one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, now circle. E goes to A, to D, to G, to C. So we have two of the six patterns of music, diatonic and circle of fifths. Now, this next section is what I call drop the pinky, where we go to F minor. Notice my left hand pinky starts with F minor in root position. And then we're just gonna drop our pinky a half step each subsequent chord. So it's. Okay, now I've discussed this in detail in prior uh, presentations, but there's tons of songs that use drop the pinky where it's like the primary progression in the entire song. All right, so we got drop the pinky. Now we have what I call raise the thumb. We're gonna play a major chord and we're gonna raise our thumb a half step each subsequent chord. Okay, that might be a new one. I can't remember if I've talked about that, but that's another common pattern where you play a major chord and just raise the top note by half step. All right, songs that use that, for example, are um, Greatest Love of All. Right. I'm just raising my thumb, starting with a major chord. I half step. All circle. Z. Okay, so in back to our original, we have the diatonic in the song matchmaker. Diatonic, then we have circle of fifths. Drop the pinky for the minor chord and raise the thumb. Wow, one, two, three, four. So we got four of the six so far. I'm gonna start with drop the pinky on the bridge, second section. Now raise the thumb. Now here's a two, five progression. This is two in the key of C, which of course we know to be D minor. Here's the five in the key of C, which is G dominant or G major. And then to one is C. And here's a two, whoops. Hmm, there's a four or, Ah, it could be two, yeah, two to five, and then back home to one. All right, so let's see if I can do a little bit of that in the key of G flat, pretty tough key. Starts on the fifth note of the scale. So I'm thinking one in G flat, two, three, four, here we go, one, two, three, Pretty key. Here's my one, two, three. Now think circle. Boy flat goes to E flat. Here's my A flat. Here's my D flat. I can honestly say I've never played in that key, but 
I might tonight when I perform. It's a really beautiful, rich key. Hear the difference? Okay, so that's um, the power of the diatonic. So let me just state the five, excuse me, the six uh, patterns in music. You get the diatonic progression. We go up or down the scale. This is down the scale. Yeah, four, three, two, four, three, two. Okay, circle of fifths. Uh, if you remember the mnemonic for that, it's um, C chords go to F chords. It's a B flat, E flat, A flat, D flat, which spells bead as in jewelry, jewelry bead, flat bead. G flat, natural bead, natural G. So forget about the 100 videos on YouTube, which will only confuse you. Just think CF and spell the word bead, flat bead, G flat, natural bead, natural G. Okay, that's a mnemonic. A little trick to help you memorize quickly. Tried to spell that the other day. I have no idea if it's MN or NM or MN. <laughs> anyway, it's kind of crazy the way you spell it. Drop the pinky, that's for minors. Stairway to heaven. Chim Chim Cherie. Blue skies, the list goes on and on. This masquerade, sorry. Hear that? What are you doing the rest of your life, etc., etc. So that's the drop pinky for four minors in a row. And the new one, relatively new, at least for me teaching is uh, students, is raise the thumb. And that is um, can be illustrated in a song called, um, well, obviously Matchmaker, but also uh, a jazz standard called um, In the Wee Small Hours. So this is recorded by many artists, including Frank Sinatra. This is to drop the pinky, circle of fifths, here's another circle, chromatic two five. some block okay now the cool thing about the diatonics is that or excuse me raise the thumb or the diatonics is you can what i call force a diatonic progression or force some of these progressions for example in the song um oh, as long as he needs me which is from oliver those of you who know musicals the first few chords are c major now i could do Hmm, I could do many things here, but I could. I could also do raise the thumb because I know like that will work with the melody. Okay, so you can force that progression anytime you have uh, a major 
uh, tonality or a major chord. And you can give it more color by moving that top note, the fifth of the chord. Most books would give you this. Maybe they give you this, and then maybe back. All right, but we want more movement. Much more interest. It's still major chords, but it's a major triad, then a augmented. It's basically a, a major chord. Then you go to the sixth. Right? So it's a way of adding uh, motion. Right? We want some motion. We don't want to just sit on the chord. Most books will give you maybe two chords. But this is more interesting. So anytime you have a major chord for you know measure, maybe a little bit more, and you want motion, you can try raising the fifth of the chord by half steps. Um, before I go on, is there any questions? Please be some questions. Are there any questions on the basic six patterns in music? The, um, I've been thinking a lot about this, especially because I'm teaching more and more blind students, um, visually impaired students. It's like, you don't get to this in traditional lessons because it's very hard to see the, the chord structure unless you understand your chords. So having said that, um, you know, lead sheets, starting with a teacher who teaches chords, this uh, is much more expeditious way, but it's also really understanding the language of music, right? When you are playing traditional, and I studied traditional lessons from six to 16, uh, when you're studying traditional lessons, there are just dots on a page, and you are not necessarily taught the chord structure, i.e. the patterns. But there's circle of fifths in Beethoven, in Bach, in Billy Joel, all Western civilization music. But it's more esoteric when you just see uh, notes on, on a staff. Right? So that's really the power of studying with someone who teaches you chords. And you know, we all learn by patterns whether you know it or not, we've learned by patterns. So I say if there's five or six patterns in music, and again, I didn't even realize this till the last maybe five years of teaching um, with mostly blind students, because, you know, obviously if we can relegate music songs to patterns, it's going to expedite the learning. Now, every melody is different. You have to kind of know the melody or, you know, when I send you an audio file, I'll state the melody letters out loud but I'm looking for songs that really have tons of patterns in them. And then the more I teach, the more I find that it's in every song. <laughs> you might have three of the six patterns. You might have, um, like for instance, um, Satin Dow is all two, five, ones. Two, five, two, five, two, five, two. Okay, I'm changing keys, but I'm still doing the two, five of the new key I'm doing, okay? And I may have mentioned this before, but I've got a way to teach you where you just move one finger, you play the two chord, and you move one finger, and you get the five chord rather than jumping, right? Where we just want move, minimal movement. This is a two, five, two, five. I'm just moving my one finger. Two, five, two, five. Oh. And the bridge is all two five, two five, two five. 
give the one now. Here we go. Two, five, two, five, two, five. It's back to two, five. Right? So if I'm teaching someone who's visually impaired and I can show them those chords in 10 minutes, <laughs> that's huge, right? So the two, five progression is the most common progression in all of music. And jazz, the jazz genre is probably, not probably, it is the, you know, the genre that uses two fives the most illustrated by that song. Here's another one. This is uh, When Sunny Gets Blue. This is two, five. This is another two, five. And it's going to one. Oh, interesting. One, two, three, two, five, two, five, two, five, two, five. Two, five, right? So, again, tons of two fives. It's more in the jazz genre, right? If you do pop, not so much two fives. You know, uh, Yesterday by the Beatles. Right, this is really, this is a two. Let me do that. Here's a two. Two, five, one. There's not so much two fives, very few actually. Okay, so it just depends on uh, the era, the genre. Okay, but the rock and roll typically uses just triads, and those tend to move a lot more um, different ways, we'll say, not so pattern. Okay, so that ends up being kind of interesting. <laughs> that song, by the way, has been recorded by how many artists? Over 2,500 artists. Oh, we have a question, I think. Do you see that, Steve? Dexter, uh, I don't ahead. see any raised hands right now. Um, oh, I see Dexter's raised hand, but I could be blind. Yes, uh, no, you're oh, correct. Yeah, there, there it is. Okay, now it's, I'm sorry. You, uh, some reason it didn't show you up. You said that there were only, or you said uh, you had given six patterns, but I only typed in five. Oh, Okay. Uh, I unless speak. you're counting the upward diatonic and the downward separately, I don't know. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Now, let me go over them quickly. So you probably have the diatonic movement, circle Correct. of fifths, yes. drop the pinky, raise the yes. thumb. Uh, oh, yes. Thank you. Two, five, one. Correct. And then one, six, two, five, one. Yeah, you're right. Missed one. Okay, you have said the one six two five one. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Thank you. Because I was writing down my list up, and I'm playing the song illustrating that, and I realize that's the one that that's the one pattern I did that's not in Matchmaker, which is the one six two five one. That's quite common. Here's one that uses that one six two five six two two five one. Six, root of five, one, six, root of five, one, six, and it goes to four, five. Okay, it's quite diatonic, but yes, one, six, two, five is really common, probably the second most common progression. Let me 
go a little deeper on that. So 251 is the most common progression, and that's because 251, if we're in the key of C, is a D chord, D minor, and the five is G, major or dominant, depends if you're playing three or four notes, back to C, right? So D chord, G chord to C. Well, guess what? Two, five, one. That is a circle movement. D down a fifth to G, down a fifth to C. So that is the main reason that two, five, one is the most common chord progression. Well, let's look at one, six, two, five, one. One to six, that is not circle movement, but once you hit the six chord, it is circle movement. So C chord is one, six is A minor, and now it's gonna move circle. A goes to one, six, two, five, one. A goes to D, that's the two, to the five, to the one. So one, six, two, five, one. Right, one, six, two, four of those five chords are circled. The last four, A, D, G, C. Okay, so again, that's why that's the second most common chord progression because it includes the circle of fifths. So thank you for um, bringing that point up, Dexter. Appreciate that. Yes, absolutely. This song, Matchmaker, is five of the six, and I forgot to talk about the sixth. Actually, I did it on purpose to see if anyone was listening. It's not true. So thank you for pointing that out. All right. Um, so those are the six patterns of music. And again, I took lessons from my mom, and I took from other teacher, and I took from my jazz teacher, and quite honestly, no one ever showed me these patterns. Um, so I feel very fortunate to be doing what I love. And of course, if you want to master something, teach it, right? So in teaching blind and visually impaired students, particularly, but not exclusively, uh, really, really anyone, you know, but for me, teaching the blind and the visually impaired, let's learn these six patterns and then combine that with what I call minimal movement, which uh, obviously is part of the drop the pinky for minors. It's also part of the raise the thumb for the majors. Right, that's minimal movement. But also within a two five, I can show you how to go from a two chord to a five by just moving one finger. That's particularly beneficial for someone who is not um, sighted, so to speak. Okay, so it's a combination of these six. This is the way I think of teaching my visually impaired, I'll say. Here's the six main patterns. Now, how can I teach the ones that aren't necessarily minimal movement? How can I teach those? Well, okay, let's try to drop the thumb. Right? And then lately I've been doing arrangements that I call minimal movement, whereby I've just voiced the chords, arranged the notes of the chord for minimal movement, not just for drop the pinky or raise the thumb. Um, for example, let's see, I'm doing um, as long as he needs me from um, Oliver. So this is a raise the thumb. One, two, and four. Here, I'm just going to move one finger and I get the next chord. Now here's a D chord going to a B flat. Well, instead of jumping from D dog to B flat, I'm going to just raise my one note on the dog minor chord, D minor, and now I get the 
the B flat inverted, and then one more half step of my thumb, I get the G dominant. So I find it very uh, interesting and challenging and just very creative. Okay, so here's my D minor. Instead of jumping, I'm just gonna figure out the inversion of B flat so that I can minimize my movement. So here it is. Here's D minor. I'm going to B flat, but I'm just gonna change one note. I'm going from B flat to G, but I'm just gonna move one note. Pretty cool, right? So again, when I teach that though, it's not gonna be hopefully rote. It's gonna be, here's D minor. What inversion of B flat is closest to where I'm at now? Well, that's first inversion, right? Whereas the particular inversion of G7, that's closest to where I'm at now. There it is, right? So it's quite amazing in my estimation that with inversions, you can really minimize movement. And that can be um, obviously <laughs> beneficial when teaching really anybody, <laughs> okay? So um, does it require you understanding your inversions? I think it does, but I could just teach a student, hey, here's D minor, raise your thumb, and you get B flat over D, all right? And teach them that theory along with just, hey, do this, so to speak. But I really try and teach the student how to fish uh, not just, um, you know, give them a fish. And to me, it sounds like I'm beating up traditional lessons, but I kind of am. Traditional lessons are, you know, basically spoon feeding you, giving you a fish. Here's the notes. Put your finger here. See you next week. Right? But it's not that way. It's... Let me do it better. And those six notes are not arbitrary. That's a minor chord being broken up. This is an E chord broken up. E goes to A in the circle. E. E dominant seven goes down a fifth to A minor. All right. So it's a higher level of intellectual involvement. It's really understanding the language of music, which, which is really exciting. I was terrible in Spanish because they would say, you know, como se llama? And it's like, Como means what? They're in the next paragraph, right? I'm word by word, right? So basically, this is interesting to me, you know, to understand these patterns, to get two and three chords in a row, one, six, two, five, one, for example, okay? That's like understanding a sentence, right, in, in, in a language, whereas word by word would be, or letter by letter, would be more like the notes of a traditional classical piece, right? Well, we don't speak in letters, we speak in words. Words have syntax. The syntax in music is a circle of fifths, right? C likes to go to F. F likes to go to B flat. Right? P flat likes to go to E flat. B flat, right? So just like we would say in English, I live in the greenhouse, right? In Spanish, you would say Casa Verde, house green. In music, the syntax is a circle of fifths and that's the way chords tend to move why did i not learn that till i was in my 20s i don't know <laughs> right you can't teach what you don't know so um to me music the musical language is the key you know to be able to play understand what you're playing it's really uh, a numbers game really is <laughs> based on the scale okay but you have to learn a certain amount of theory 
You have to understand what circle of fifths really means, what are intervals, what are the scales, what does scale degree mean? Oh, okay, etc. Um, any other questions? I don't see any here. I think Steve has a question, but he just came from a cruise ship, and so he's kind of not used to you know asking any questions. He's just cooling out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't see any hands at this point. Okay, good. All right, so that's the six, and thank you, Dexter. That is the six main patterns that I've found in music. Um, let's talk a little bit about, yeah, let me, let me go through Misty. Just spend about four minutes going through all the different levels of Misty because I had a few new students, potential new students, last week. One remember, I remember was Zelda. She's like, well, what's your system for teaching? So some of you will know some of this, but I'll go through it quickly. So if I'm playing Misty, the first thing I would teach my students is uh, three note chords in the left hand, so-called triads. So here's Misty with triads. Just playing one note in the right, the melody, and I'm playing a three note chord in the left hand. Okay, so you could expect to play that maybe first couple lessons if you're an absolute beginner. Okay, now we'll go to four note chords. This is all in the left hand. Pretty full sounding. So-called close position. Okay, close, C-L-O-S-E, close position means all the notes are in the left hand and they're as close as they can be. They're not spread out between two hands. They're not spread out beyond the octave. They're basically every other note. Okay, called close position. All right, so now let's play open position where I'm gonna spread the notes of the chord out beyond the span of an octave. So I'm playing three notes in each hand. Basically, three in the left and two or three in the right. So this is open position. I'm opening up that chord. I'm actually transferring some of the chord tones from the left hand up into the right for a fuller sound for solo piano. Okay, that's a pretty advanced uh, way of playing, but I have a system to show you that. Okay, so now let's do open with ninths. I'm playing uh, seventh chords open and I'm adding the the ninth as a color note. All right, there's a ninth, ninth, ninth. Oops. All right, All right let me try um, adding elevenths. Here's a C11. This is pretty. This is F minor 11. Yeah. Okay, so there's rules on terms of what, you know, colors, what scale degrees we can add. You can add a ninth to almost any chord, right? You can add an 11th to dominance. Cannot use them with majors. You can add an 11th with minors. 13th is with, uh, can be used with majors primarily. Okay, so there's rules. It's not arbitrary, but you know, the, the ear is the ultimate acid test, right? So let's try Misty now with, uh, hmm, 
thirteenths. There's a D minor eleven. Here's a G G seven flat nine thirteen. And here's a thirteen on this one. Hmm. This is a thirteenth in the melody. Ooh, this is free. This is a thir major thirteen. Oops. There we go. Here's a thirteenth with a sharp eleven. All right, so the ninths, ninths, elevens, and thirteenths are what I call the extensions or the colors that you can add to a certain chords. Dominant chords have the most possible uh, extensions. You can do a nine, flat nine, sharp nine, eleven, sharp eleven, thirteen, right? and then permutations or combinations thereof. So not being a math major, but it's literally dozens of possibilities. For colors, that's what I love about teaching uh, jazz. Right, the more dominance there are, the more colors. For example, this is a G seven flat nine with a raised eleven. Right, if someone plays that in performance. I'm like, wow, that they know what they're doing. <laughs> right, here's a six nine. Wow, what was that? Drop the pinky. Okay, that's one thing I, that I do when I have a 2-5, you can do drop the pinky. That progression is a 2-5, so I could play it open. 2-5-1 jumping around, or I could do drop the pinky. Let's see if it works here, there's another 2-5, drop the pinky. Wow, that's something I've done before, but I'm kind of crystallizing it out loud, making it come in focus uh, by teaching it, or at least mentioning it now. That's um, quite amazing. So yeah, so as if you understand and can locate two five progressions in music, guess what? You can do drop the pinky as an alternative to playing the chords in close position or open. In other words, jumping around basically. That's pretty cool. Very cool, I think. All right, so that was 11s, 13s. Now, just a little deeper, we can play uh, some quartal voicings. Quartal means the chord tones are voiced uh, a fourth apart. All right. Okay. The interval between each of the, all of those notes is a perfect fourth, perfect fourth. That's a third, perfect fourth, and perfect fourth. It gives you a very modern jazz sound, right? As opposed to, which is to my jazz ear, very boring. <laughs> Sorry, I want to do, and then I'm going to do rootless G dominant with lots of color. Okay, so basically those were rootless voicings. That's another style or, or arranging style that I do. Let's see if I can play this song rootless. There's no root. There's no G in that chord, but it's a G dominant, basically. Here's a G dominant. There's not a G anywhere in there. <laughs> Here's a C major. There's no C anywhere. There it is. All right. So this goes to prove the power of 
uh, the three and the seven. I don't have to play the root. I can just play the important notes, the color notes, the uh, what they call the guide tones, some teachers, three and seven. So here's, here's C13, but there's sharp 11. There's no C anywhere. Right, but I have the essence of C dominant and seven, a three and a seven. That's F major, but there's no F major, but I've got the three and the seven of the F major chord. So that's where you get into, you know, the subjective artistry, if you will, right? You want to play the song close position? You want to play it open? You want to play it with ninths? You want to play it rootless, right? You want to do polychords. We've talked about those in the past, basically, in a sentence, you can combine a major triad in the right hand with a dominant seven in the left hand and get a phenomenally colorful chord that ordinarily would, you would take you a long time to find the, the notes. And yet here's D over C7. <coughs> Excuse me. Gotta start smoking. This is a D major triad in the right hand over a C7, which is in a a de facto C13 sharp 11. <laughs> but I didn't have to go, where's the 13? Where's the sharp 11? What scale am I in? Huh? Forget it. It's just D over C7. So I've written a lot of arrangements uh, with the idea that, hey, let's get the quickest jazz sound without having to, to learn our 13s and sharp 11s. Most of you, if you've played piano before, can play a D major triad. And C dominant 7 is not that difficult. But together, if I saw C13 sharp 11, I might even have to think for two seconds before I could grab it. So again, how do I get the biggest sound, right? Uh, most color, most interesting harmony uh, without you know, spending a year <laughs> for, uh, teaching a student. So that's the challenge as I see it. Um, okay, so we went over the six patterns. We talked about kind of my system, if you will, of building from playing songs with three note chords, four note in close position, then open it up where we play five or six notes spread out over a couple of octaves, three in the left, three in the right, basically. And then from there, adding nines, elevens, and thirteens and go to rootless. Now, if a student has a difficulty, particularly difficulty playing open, I will teach them the poly chords again because it's easier to get a big sound. D major is you know something you would learn the first lesson or two with me, first lesson actually. And C7, you would learn certainly in the second or third lesson at the, at the you know little worst case scenario. Right? So open position is what I play almost all the time because I've been playing for decades. But again, if that's difficult to see for a student, right? Uh, let's do polychords. So again, this depends on the student. That to me is a, you know, how do I say this humbly? Um, you know, it's the teacher's job to basically make sure that the student, you know, is getting the biggest sound as early as possible and alter their system, so to speak, uh, to the student. That's a problem I have with some teachers who teach out of a method book. Okay, turn the page. No, Susie has a great ear, right? Let's, let's, let's teach toward that, right? Or such and so-and-so can play, you know, their close position chords instantly. Okay, well, now let's try 
the polychords, right? Or boogie woogie, what's going to motivate them, right? But what's their strength and what do they need help with, right? So it can't be cookie cutter, not in my estimation, right? If you look at any of your best teachers over the years, I would say they probably had, um, you know, a unique way of altering their system, if you will, of teaching uh, based on the student. Now, if you're teaching 400 people in a lecture room, that's kind of hard to do, right? Everyone learns differently, right? Some are kinesthetic, some are visual, some are oral. And that's, um, that's why I like to do audio files for my blind students, right? Um, but also write out the, the melody notes as text, as letters, right? E, B, 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 right? And make them a PDF or a Word document or um, pages document, whatever they'll be able to read, right? So what avenue is going to get the student to progress the fastest, right? I'm always amazed. Some of my students have fantastic ears. I'm like, oh, wow, here we go. Just get, you know, 50 chords and we're flying, right? I don't have to necessarily spoon feed them. G, C, C, D, C, B, A. Others have difficulty finding those melody notes because they've never been able, they've never been asked to, to kind of follow their ear. Quick story, I was 20, I was studying with my jazz teacher and he said, play happy birthday in the key of B, as in boy, key of B major. Now this is me after 15 years of piano. It was pitiful. I could sight read, I could play Beethoven, Bach, Chopin, right? I knew my chords, I could improvise a bit. I could not play by ear. He's like, well, look at the, the piano. These are the notes, you're in the key of B. Right? Those are the notes you're gonna pick from, it's in the key of B. Don't play any notes outside those seven different notes. Well, that makes sense, duh. I was looking up at the ceiling, you know, guessing basically so it's a real skill set uh, to be able to play by ear and um, I'm always amazed at some students that can just they'll, they'll make a few mistakes but they correct it right away and others they just you know it's tough it's difficult so I can relate it's apples and oranges to play by ear if you will and to play um, with the written note i.e. traditional lessons Steve still doesn't have any questions I think he's I think he's a no musician. Questions. <laughs> no questions. Okay. Um, all right. So let's go forward. Next thing I would like to talk about. Is, Actually, uh, we, we do have a question um, oh. from Mary code 301. Um, not sure who that is. If you want to unmute and say something. Tell us who you are. Yeah. Hi there. This is Nate from Maryland. I've come oh, back Nate. after a service. Yeah, quick question. So if you're playing a C dominant seven in the third uh, third conversion, would you play the C or just do the G, B flat, and E? Yeah, you said C, C dominant seven in third inversion or second? Yeah, third. Third. Yeah, what you just described, well, remember the first or root position is root, first position is root position. So second inversion would have the G on the bottom. That's what you're talking about, right? G on the bottom. Correct? Correct? Yep. Okay, that's called yep. second inversion, just so you know. It's not third inversion. 
because the first position is not first inversion, it's called root position. So root, yeah, so it's root, first, second. Yeah, so your question, I believe, was uh, would you take out the C? Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah, you definitely could take out the C. Yeah, let's talk about that. If I play C dominant seven in any position, but let's take root position. So it's C, E, G, B flat. The fifth of the chord, G, is the least important note. So I take the G out, the fifth, take it out. Right? And then C, believe it or not, is the second least important note. I can play it just the three and the seven, and I'll still have the essence of C7. And I'll illustrate that in um, Misty. Here's, here's G dominant seven. I'm just playing the three and the seven. It's a little thin, but it's there. And now here's C major. So to your, here's your, to your question, I'm going to play what you suggested for the C7. Sounds just fine, right? Without the C. Yep. In fact, it sounds more creative to me because this is not exactly uh, the most creative way to play a C7, right? So yeah, to your point, um, yeah, you can take the C out, um, but that's... You get rid of the C as well. No. I'm, I'm sorry? And you would get rid of the G as well. You could, yeah. And that's yeah. a great question, great point. So here, let me play that again. Uh, so I'm just going to play the, the third and the seventh, but I'm going to do a polychord in the right, right, to give it some more color. So I don't have a root. I do not have a fifth, but I've got the three and the seven in the left. And then I put lots of color in the right, the so-called D major or major two polychord, major two triad. And it's a nice jazz sound. So, yep, three and seven are the most important notes. The uh, fifth is expendable, and the root is possibly expendable as well. Your left hand, do you just play C octaves, or do you add any of the other notes? In the left hand? Yes. Yeah. Um, the only time I ever play octaves in the left hand is if I'm doing, like, I'm putting color in the left hand. It might be the three and the seven. It might be one, three, seven. But I rarely play octaves in the left hand. Uh, the only time I do that is be like broken tense. So here I play root one note in the left. And then I'll play the fifth and the tenth uh, called so-called broken tenth. Right, but the only time I'm playing octaves basically is if I'm doing a fast song. In which case I have to put the harmony and the melody in the right hand, which is a interesting, maybe I'll do that next time presentation. I haven't talked about that so much. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you can play octaves in the left, but to me, I want to do more color, like one, five, seven, typically, at least for the ballads um, and the jazz, you know, but even, Yeah, uh, we have five fingers. I would. I don't really play a lot of octaves in the left, um, unless it's. But even then, I'm playing them both. It's fast, so I'll play. You know, I'll play octaves, but one note in each hand. There's no way I could do that with one hand. 
Just too hard. <laughs> so yeah, I'm playing color in my left hand. One and seven, one, three, seven. Uh, particularly for um, beautiful jazz and pop ballads. Thank you for that question. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice to have you back. Where were you? On a cruise with Steve? What, what's going on here? Uh, work got in the way. Ah, got it. Yeah. I have. Uh, are you from Maryland? I think you said it one. Right? I am indeed. Yes. Yeah, I've got a couple of students from Maryland. Uh, a couple of blind students. So yeah, they, um, um, nice to have you back. So let's see. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Interesting. I see a couple of new people here. Okay. Uh, if there's no further questions, uh, we can do trivia, trivia, music trivia for the last ten minutes, or I can talk about uh, quasi block and true block. Any suggestions? We did some trivia last week. It's kind of fun. Trivia. Trivia. Okay, let's do it. All right. So, who can name? Let me think. I want to do the date or the, the title. Let me think about this. Um, okay. Uh, I did that. Okay. Okay. Who can name this song? Um, oh. <laughs> oh, we have two hands here, Dexter and Tyann, apparently. I'm going to keep score here. Anybody know that one? Yeah, Dexter and um, Tyann both have their hands up. So, Dexter? Somewhere over the rainbow. Diane, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just agree with Dex Dexter. Got it. Okay. <laughs> One point each. That was pretty easy. All right. Tell me, uh, oh, tell me the name of this song. I see Diane has her hand up. No, it never got taken down. <laughs> okay. Here we go. I'll just uh, I'll just wait for Steve to say somebody thinks they know what it is. Do I see Dexter has his hand up? Moonlight Sonata. Oh, interesting, but not correct. Interesting. This is Moonlight. Oh. It's I think the group Chicago would be uh, uh, very thankful if you thought that was Moonlight Sonata. <laughs> Same feel. Nobody knows that one? That's uh, Color My World by the group Chicago. All right, let's try another I one. I should have known that. I actually used to play that. Oh, cool. That's a very pretty tune, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, let's see. Hmm. How about if we do that one? Okay, what's the name of this song?
I think Tyann put her hand up first. Is that right, Steve? I think that's her. Well, Julia, I think it's oh, called Ju Out of My Life. What is it? Out of My Life. Out of My Life. That's a great song, but no, <laughs> not, that's not the name of it. No, okay. Thank you. Uh, so we have another hand up, right? Oh, wow. Everyone um, seems to know this one. <laughs> yeah, next hand is uh, area code 571. Hello, Mark. It's the way we were. Ah, very good. Who is this, please? Sorry. Who is this, please? 571. Oh, it's Pam. It's Pam. Pam. Oh, great. Okay, yeah, Pam. Mark. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Good job. That was uh, Barbara Streisand's first number one song, believe it or not. Okay, Pam gets a point. Dexter's got a point. Tyann's got a point. Good job. Um, all right, let's do another one. How about, hmm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Does anyone know this one? Notice that diatonic. see any hands that's uh moonlight in vermont all right tell me the uh tv show this is from i see pam has her hand up sorry to be the host steve i'll let you do this oh, no problem you're catching him faster than i am so go go for it okay um, um, I forgot. Sorry, I know the song, but I forgot where it's from. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's familiar, isn't it? Uh, Nate, you know the the, the show? Hang on, that's Taxi. Oh, not quite, but the same kind of type of show. This is actually um, Hill Street Blues. Was on for like eight years. Hill Street Blues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, interesting. Oh, this is very interesting. What's this? Tyann or Nate, one of those two. It's the Jeopardy theme song. And guess what the chord progression is? Um, diatonic? Nope, it's one six two five. One six. Oh, cool! I think about the melody. I just didn't have the chords. Oh, right. Yeah, the quintessential one six two five song. <laughs> Everyone knows it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Let's see if I know another one here. Um, hmm. Oh yes, I'll check this out. I love this one. I might make a mistake or two here, but uh, it's because I haven't played it in months. But this is, uh, let's see.
That's diatonic. Do you hear it? It's one, two, three, four, two, five, one, two. I don't know who raised their hand first. I need your help, Steve. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if time was up or if I didn't lower uh, that hand from last time, but uh, um, also Dexter. No, my hand. It's the Flintstones. Of course, it's the Flintstones. Very good. Absolutely. When I used to, yeah, well, how to waste time after high school or whenever I watched it. <laughs> Actually, I didn't watch it. I watched Gilligan's Island, but uh, whatever. I'm dating myself. Gilligan's. <laughs> I should learn that one. Ooh. All right. So that was Tyann. Good. She's got three points. She's winning. All right. Um, <laughs> let's see what else. Okay. Name this song. Name this song. Let's see. There it is. Oh, wait. Nora's got her hand up. Ah. Sounds familiar, but I can't remember. Oh, it's okay. It'll come back. Oh, I can't play today. Hold on. Dan's got a hand raised. Isn't that the incredible song? Sorry, I couldn't hear it. Feelings? feelings? Oh, it's not feelings. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> It's okay. Good guess. Um, I couldn't hear what Dan said. I, I asked, wasn't that the Incredible Hawk theme song from the old 70s show? Now, that's interesting. I never saw that show. This was done, this was recorded by um, Kenny Rogers, right? Oh. Right. Julia has a guess. Well, now, that, yeah, I was going to say the lady by, uh, lady by Kenny Rogers. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Julia is now on board. Unless you're sharing your points with Tyanne. <laughs> Julia. Okay. <laughs> Julia has a point. Bravo. Oh. All right. <laughs> bravo, bravo, bravo. That was a huge hit. Who wrote that song? Does anyone know? That was who, who wrote that? That was Lionel Richie, believe it or not. Who wrote that? Beautiful song. Okay. We got time for maybe one or two more. Um, Let's see, what is this song? Oh yeah, here we go. And Nate's hand is raised. Idea? I'm not sure where Nate is, but uh, Pam has got her hand up. And okay, yeah, it's that. Can't think of the title of it. Is that song by Elton John? Um, yeah, it's by Elton John. Very good. Yeah. 
Okay, we're gonna give song. That's okay. Yeah, we're gonna give Pam a half a point for the artist. Bravo. Does anyone know the title? Tyann, Julia? It has the word song in it. <laughs> has the word song in it. Very good. That's a half point for Julia. There <laughs> we go. Look out. She's coming up. Um, is, that Daniel, yeah, is, that, is that Daniel song? No, no, but the same artist, Elton John. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This was his first big number one song. And it's called Your Song. Oh, what an idea. What a concept. <laughs> I wasn't Bravo. sure. Yeah, no, that's good. We're going to give out quarter points, half points. Okay, one more. <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, tell me who, who, uh, who wrote this. I don't see any hands. That's okay. Cool. Anyway, that's uh, Billy Joel, for anyone interested. And um, just want to thank everyone for participating. Uh, if you want a free 30-minute lesson, just go to blindpianolessons.com. I just added some learning resources um, so you can uh, hear some of how I teach on there. And thanks, everyone, for joining me. Thank you, Steve, for uh, inviting me on your next cruise. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, and that was Just the Way You Are by Billy Joel. I guess I'm not oh. supposed to play. <laughs> All right. Watch out. Steve's on the, on the up and coming here. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Thanks, everyone, for uh, joining me, and uh, have a happy Thanksgiving.